Welcome to the Finding Backcountry Podcast with your host, Dustin Whitwer. I am Dustin Whitwer, and this is the Finding Backcountry Podcast. Follow along on my journey of learning from the best backcountry hunters each week as we explore valuable information I use to find success in the backcountry. Let's get to the show. Kind of the way I break up the fall is, you know, you got your scouting, which is depend on where you live. You know, that's going to be, you know, late June and, you know, kind of mid, late August, right up to really when the season opens. Um, and, um, you know, unless you don't have any early archer seasons or any early rifle seasons or anything like that, I guess you could be scouting in October. But, but to, to me, and I, I figured this out about 20 years ago that, you know, September is the new November. When I grew up, you were hunting. Um, you know, later, just about every state was hunting later. Um, you know, archery was, you know, not even on people's radar. People didn't even know how to hunt it. I didn't know how to hunt it. And you just, you just assumed everything was tied to the rut. And, and, and I remember when Utah, um, was trying to bolster their buck numbers. They, they had a general season over the counter tag, uh, muzzleloader hunt in early November. And, you know, it ran until, I don't know, roughly the 10th or so. I mean, it was catching the rut. I mean, the guys that knew what they were doing, they were hunting them, hunting it to, you know, get rutting bucks. Right. And Utah decided to change that. I remember, gosh, it was like 97, 98, right around in there. And maybe a little bit earlier than that. And they wanted to move it back into September to decrease the harvest, um, you know, make it harder. And I remember a couple of years into it, talking to one of their biologists, in the uh, southeast region over there and he was like you know this thing this did not do what we thought it would do he said you know our, our harvest didn't really drop and um you know we discovered that you know hunting bucks in that early season mode where they can be you know pre-scouted and it's not as weather dependent as the rut you know the bucks are where they're going to be anyways where the rut you know the weather can move them miles and the rut can move them miles and he said, you know, we just, it just didn't do what we wanted it to do. And it, it got me start really to start focusing on that, 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 yeah, you know, he's right. These bucks that I find preseason, they're there until, you know, around here, the rifle opens early October. So, you know, they're there until then. And, right. and even into the rifle season, they're there if people haven't buggered them up too bad. Yeah. And that's, that's interesting that you say that. Um, it actually, it actually reminds me of, uh, you know, and I've talked about this buck. Well, so let, let me back up real quick. So for those who can't tell, I've got Robbie, uh, Robbie Denning, uh, back on the podcast, um, by popular demand. Um, if, if not by just popular demand of me, I just like to have Robbie on the podcast. So, but no, I, I had quite a few people actually, um, have requested you back on the podcast, but, and dude, and, that's, that's actually my mother and my aunt setting up <laughs> fake, fake IG accounts, yeah. you know, and like spamming you guys like, Oh, you really gotta have Robbie on there. Yeah. I didn't understand who <laughs> grandma mule deer hunter seven, three, four was now that makes more sense. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's grandma. Dude. She's 92. She just got an Instagram account. I said, here, let's make good use out of it. You know, get me some, get me some appearances on some podcasts. Yeah. Well, no, I, she, I really appreciate that. Dustin. No, no problem. She should have <laughs> wasn't a, a more prominent podcast but oh well um <laughs> they gotta start somewhere yeah you no know, so we, we're we, 
didn't want to be too obvious. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> as as two guys that just love to talk about hunting deer, we just I finally just had to hit record and we just jumped right into it because I could tell we could all of a sudden 30 minutes would go by and we'd blown half the podcast material. So um, we just jumped into it. Robbie Denning, we, we caught up at the uh, hunt expo in uh, back in the, in the winter. And, and uh, it's been, you know, just it's been the whole uh, tag drawn and seasons are here and everything's taking place. But um, anyway, we're, we're chatting, uh, we're chatting, probably early, early to mid season mule deer tactics today. And, um, you know, you, you jumped into, um, kind of that, that mindset that I think a lot of guys had myself included of like, man, I, I really want that late season, you know, whatever premium November, uh, hunt. And it, it, and, and, and I think the point that you're making is it's transitioned to where mo- guys are figuring out they would rather have that almost have that early season, um, tag because they can pattern bucks. And, you know, it, it, it reminds me of that buck that my brother, um, killed on almost the exact hunt that you're talking about that Utah's put back into place. And that's a, you know, like that late season, uh, muzzleloader limit. It's a limited entry tag, but it's on a, just on a general unit, you know, but it, it runs into November runs into the first, first or second week in November. And it worked out for him. It worked out for him. We end up finding a two, whatever, 225 buck or whatever it ended up being. It worked out just barely. And I say that because for the first two thirds or three quarters of that hunt, I'm telling you, it was not working out. It wasn't working out at all. And I would have, I would have way rather been hunting them up in the high country, you know, in August or September and being able to scout them all summer, like you're saying, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because we could, we, we, we do a pretty good job of finding them there. But in, like exactly what you're saying in November, it was just like literally by luck. We happened to be in the right spot where the, you know, the bucks had come off the, the bigger peaks. And, uh, anyway, mm-hmm. that's, yep. it, that's interesting. So, yeah, yeah and that, that, that tag that he drew, you know, Utah just started opening those up a, a few years ago where they give some limited entry um, hunts on these general season units uh, to just give more opportunity and, you know, basically to help guys burn through their points. And, mm-hmm. and but it, and, and it's good. Don't, I mean, you know, don't get me wrong. Those are awesome. I mean, you just proved it. They're, they can be awesome. But, you know, to sit on your thumbs all fall and think, oh, yeah, dude, the rut. Let's, I'm going to go hunt the rut. There's all well, kinds of problems with the rut. Here's here, here, here's the flip side. Here's here's a here's a story that will prove your point. And I've, I've I talk about this all the time too. New Mexico um, last year or two years. I think it was just – man, the years are starting to run together. Am I getting old or what? Um, you're, dude, you're getting old, man. Jeez. It was recently down in New Mexico uh, last year, and it was. It was that, that last rifle hunt that they do down there on in prime, like 2B or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. Um, couldn't find a buck. Could not mm-hmm. find could not find a mature buck in well into November down there, and it just, mm-hmm. you know, it, it, it's, it's the hunt that everyone would think that they want, but mm-hmm. um, they're just, the bucks weren't in there they hadn't moved in and that that's your role in the dice pretty pretty big there so anyway yep yep if you've got a rut hunt you know you need to know your unit really well and you know get over the mindset of oh i've got the tag now i just answered a uh facebook message from one of idaho's um super tag holders this year and he's got the deer tag and it, it it was exactly what we're talking about he's like hey i'm you know saving my time for November, da, 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 da. And I wrote him back and said, Hey, if that, you know, if, if it were me, 
I would not put all my eggs in those late buck hunts. Number one, you're missing all this. And we've got some good rifle hunts open right now yeah. and muzzleloader hunts and, you know, that are you know going to be open in early October that, you know, there's, there's scoutable bucks right now, you know, out feeding that you could be looking at and to wait until November to, you know, he wants a 200 inch buck. I said, man, you could just get spanked. And I'm not saying don't hunt November. If I was a super tag over, I'd hunt it all. But I, I, I guess I'm saying I just wouldn't wait until then because yeah. anything could happen. I mean, we've seen this, the, the, the snow doesn't come. And yet those bucks will still pull off of those big high mountain ranges. You know, they're looking for does and they leave, you know, a couple of square miles of country and move into hundreds of square miles of country. You don't even know where to look, Yeah. you know? And so, so yeah, I see it all the time and you know, yeah, I, I love late hunts. They're, they're great, but they're a whole different monster. And you know, you just, the early season, that's why I started it. September's the new November, and I would not ignore it and, you know, put as much energy into it as you can. So g- give me, kind of start off, and not to put you on the spot, but what's what's maybe a, a, a good, um, you know, early season success story that that you've had or that you can think of, um, you know, that, that yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, dude. Um, uh, I, I'm, I'm an outfitter too. And so we operate on private land and, you know, the story's in my book. A lot of guys probably are yawning right now. So I've heard it before, but it's, it's a good illustration of it that, um, about, it was in 2008, on um, one of the properties and I hunt them a little bit, you know, I, I honestly mostly hunt, you know, DIY OTC public land is, you know, a, a lot of my hunts are, or maybe not totally OTC, but, you know, easier to draw kind of stuff. But in 2008, you know, we just got our butt freaking kicked from that 07, 08 winter. But not a lot of bucks around. You know, I was scouting the public, not finding much. And up on one of the properties that I manage, uh, these are mostly elk properties. And um, but you know, we, we we limit the deer hunting, so there's you know sometimes there's some older bucks on there, but you know other years are just not. And that year there wasn't very many bucks around, but I found a, a just a really good buck. You know, 30 inches. Um, tall, you know, 19 inch G2s. I mean, he was just a good looking buck. He didn't, didn't score real well because his, uh, G4s were pretty short, but you know, five and a half inch bases carried it well. And I found him in, um, I can't remember, early August, I think it was. Um, I kept scouting all the public, didn't find anything better. So I thought I'm going after him and, uh, started our, our archery season opens August 30th. I started hunting him then and I only saw him once or twice during arch season, got no stalks on him whatsoever. It's pretty thick country, uh, Quakies type country. And uh, for those of you that read my, my book, I'm talking about the broken heart buck. And so 2008, um, archery season ended September 30th. Like I said, just saw him that once or one or two times, um, had elk hunters in there for a month. And I think the season that year rent till Halloween. In fact, I know it did. And my, I got done with my elk hunters roughly about the 23rd of 22nd of October. So I had about a week that I could hunt that buck. Um, and so, and man, I gave it all I had and I hunted the, you know, the seven or eight days that were left. I think I hunted all of them, but one and, um, never saw him. And on the 27th, I, 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 I glassed up a herd of does 1500 yards away. And I was watching him, you know, that's getting late enough in October. Sometimes you'll see bucks around him early in the morning and bam, sure enough, dude, he was right in there with them. And we're talking like, I'm in the same square mile where I scouted this buck in August, you know, and, 
you know, did he leave and come back? Who knows? I don't know, but he was there. And um, I put a stock on him, you know, too many does. He got into the cover before I could get a shot. He come out on a little knob at about 250, and I just couldn't get ready before he dropped out the other side. Fast forward a year, 2009, I found him again in August, same place. He had regressed on his G4s enough. He was really just a giant three-point, and he was even heavier. Dustin, he was up to like six inches at his base and he was just a friggin' giant. Um, he just didn't grow as many, uh, he had little cheaters a year before he just didn't grow them, uh, that year, you know, just, just a little, he ended up being six years old. So, um, still in his prime, but you know, they're different every year, you know, they're good years and bad years. So I start, started hard again in archery hunting him. I went, uh, opened the 30th, never laid eyes on him until the fifth. Dude, I'm hunting right there. There's nobody there. I mean, they just hide. And um, I got a stock on him, killed him. I lost him. I found him uh, just a little while later. I'd lost the meat, but but I did get him killed. I'm not so sure I made a real great shot on him or just a not a good tracker. My whole point is, in telling you that story, that buck was basically only available during the early season. So out of the Five or six times I saw him in two years, he was only out of the cover in the early season. Now, I did catch him that one time right as the rut came in. And one morning I caught him with the does out of the cover. But, you know, a lot of seasons are closed by then. And, you know, unless you're getting into Colorado's third season or some draw hunts or everything, or like this muzzleloader hunt we just talked about in Utah, it's all closed by then. And so um, there's just not much opportunity. So really, if there had not, if I had not been hunting him in the early season, it doesn't matter that I hunted him with a bow. It was more the early season. Those were the only times that buck was really out of the cover. The rest of the time, and I, I don't think he left and came back believe a lot of that hocus pocus i think he was just right there and it was just thick enough dusting and heavy enough cover that you just couldn't get the glass on him once he rubbed his antlers and, and you know and we're talking like i have like a dozen elk hunters up there through through those through that october and nobody signed these guys were hunting right where he was nobody signed you know because they just hide and so i think that just gives you the the, the advantage a little bit when they're still out of the cover you know, before they rub, but even after they rub, they're still, they're still not as cagey as they are as when you get into October, um, you know, heavy coats, they're, they're still two, three weeks out from the rut. They've kind of broke up their big batch herds and they're just kind of loners out. They don't spend much time out of the day, out of the cover. I'm a firm believer. Some of them never come out of the cover in the daylight hours. Yeah. And so you just don't see them. And, and so at least hunting early, you get that chance. So and, you know, there's been two or three others that I've got that way. Yeah. So, and, and I'm curious as, as you're talking about that, I'm kind of thinking of situations and I'm, I'm like, so I'm curious, do you think that there's a difference between, um, a, a buck because you know how a, a big buck, especially in the velvet, if he gets pushed during the archery hunt, let's say, and, and let's say it's not in, let, let's say it's in somewhere like Nevada where we can be hunting them August 10th, you know, and so, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, they're going to be in the velvet the entire hunt, basically. Yep. Yep. Is there, is there a difference between a buck moving because he gets pressured by hunters and a buck moving because he sheds his velvet? You know, you, you always, and, yeah. and where I'm going with that is you always hear that stigma of, oh, as soon as they shed their velvet, man, they're going to dive into the, into the trees um, do you, do you kind of 
do you believe in that? What what's your what's your thought on the on the shedding <laughs> the velvet versus just being pushed around by hunters? Well, they certainly get harder when they shed their velvet. There's no doubt. Um, um, but I don't think they leave the general area. And just like the broken heart buck that I just told you about, I really firmly believe he was there the whole time. And, you know, probably that one square mile or so, you know, that's where all the cover was. Um, you know, there's open areas there. Other bucks were out in those open areas, but he was not. And so, and there's something definitely when they rub their velvet, they, they're just, it could just be the fact that they can go in the cover without tearing up their antlers. I mean, that it could simply just be that. Yeah. But, you know, like most things, it's probably a combination of, 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 of things, um, you know, heavier coat coming in, you know, if if it's warm, they're just more sensitive to that. Um, and, but back to your hunting pressure question, hunting pressure is always going to push them in the cover. And, and sometimes it'll move them completely out of that core area, depending on, on how much it is. And it's partly why, you know, if a buck is not in a, you know, decently secure area. I don't even go hunting. I just know that oh, there's just going to be too many guys in here and, yeah. and they, they almost have to leave now. You know, I don't think they, they go 20 miles or anything like that, but you know, unless it's just, um, an ocean of cover, you know, uh, Aspen maple in Idaho, um, Oak brush in Colorado, Utah, you know, you, you guys are pinion juniper, unless there's just, you know, a bunch of it that they can get swallowed up in. I think, that you know more than just a little bit of hunting pressure is going to move those bucks into that cover and if there's not enough cover there then it's going to move them out of that country you know they may have to go a couple miles um to do that so so you know but if i found bucks that are that are have rubbed and as long as they're in secure country they're not too far away but you know gone are the days of you know the long grazing sessions in the morning, you know, coming out at four o'clock in the afternoon and laying around. I I don't see that happening as much. It turns more into a kind of a prime hours type of a deal. And, and that's, I think that's key because it's, it's different. You know, it's, it's a different move. It's a, when a buck moves because of pressure, like you're saying, he might not stay in that basin. He's probably, you know, in again, and I'm thinking Nevada, he, he might be three basins over, you know, he's, he's within, a mile or two but if mm-hmm. that pressure really pushes him i feel like he'll move completely out of that little basin that he might be yeah in. Um, they have to right whereas you know you start hunting him in mid-september when they've when they've rubbed that velvet he's and he hasn't been pressured he's probably still in that basin he's just you know like like he he's not doing that like you're saying where those velvet bucks um you know you can put them to bed at night in the middle of august up on the side of the peak and you wake up and they're literally, you know, a hundred yards right from where you left yeah. them. They just, right. they just don't dive down into the trees. And, and, and even three weeks later, they still might be <laughs> right. there if nobody's messed with them. Right. Right. Yeah. That's, but everything I'm talking about, you know, I think we all kind of look for formulas and I've talked about this on other podcasts and the, you know, the more I hunt deer, there's definitely some guidelines, but formulas, I kind of gave up on them. I don't think there are. And it's because deer are individuals. And, you know, this story I'll tell you about this hunt I just came off of is going to illustrate. It's kind of, you know, backwards of everything we just talked about. This buck just disappeared and to my knowledge was never pressured. Um, and so I think these things that we talk about guys just need to keep them in mind 
And these are general trends that you can expect from mule deer. But, you know, I'm into big mule deer. That's what we're talking about today. So if you find a smacker buck, keep this stuff in mind, but go hunt your butt off because the, 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 the terminal information you're finding out on that hunt, that is your info. That is applicable to that buck. That is, that is what you want to go off of, what you're learning right then. Because, you know, if you're like, well, you know, there are guys in here. And, you know, when I say hunting pressure, you know, that's, that's a, a moving target. What's a lot of hunting pressure? I mean, if it's wide open country, it could be one guy. If it's got a little bit of cover, maybe it takes three guys. And so you can't just, what I'm getting at is you can't just say, well, he's not here. He's gone. I've left and he's left and he's, Dustin said he might be three basins over. Robbie said he might be one. He's just gone. No, you just got to say, you know what? Now I just got to start hunting and I got to kind of figure this buck out because the, some of the biggest mistakes I've made, Dustin, and, and, and I know I've, I've left, you know, 180 to 205 bucks on the mountain that were probably total, totally killable over my hunting career that probably the biggest mistake I made is I just said, they're gone. So I move and, you know, then I'm off on some other mountain or some, God forbid, some other unit, God forbid, some other state. I've done that before too. And the older I've got, you know, maybe I'm just slowing down, but I, I, I hope I'm just getting smarter. I'm thinking no, 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 don't give up on these, on these bucks. You know, they got, they gotta be right here somewhere and they're, they're not always, but I know I'm better off sticking sticking to bucks i found out remember we're talking early season here before the migration i'm probably better off sticking to that country right there because there was a reason that he was there you know so that's kind of what i'm getting at now that being said i'm going to ask you the tough question when when do you make the decision to uh to move or change or give up on a buck early season or or even mid mid season tactic well, uh, two years ago in 2016, I found one of the best Idaho bucks I've found in a long time. And, you know, this buck was 200 on the frame, you know, heavy clear up at the top. You know, he had places on his antlers that were over six inches. I mean, he was a hog living in a general season unit. Um, and there was a road on top of the mountain and he was living below that road. And, um, I found him in August and it was not a kind of spot you could really archery hunt because it was just too much timber, but I went ahead and did it anyways. I think I gave him like five, six days of archery, never saw him. Um, and then I gave him, oh man, rifle was open two weeks. And I think I hunted almost the entire first week, at least six days. And then I had to be back to guide elk hunters. And then I went back the last three or four days. So I, you know, I had a good nine, 10 day effort on him for rifle five for archery. So I hunted him 14 days. I never saw him. And, but he was with other mature bucks, you know, four or five year old bucks. They were there. I saw him. I could have killed him. And, you know, these were 170 type bucks, but you know, they were older bucks. You could tell. And so the reason I just told you all that, I didn't give up. I never give up on them. Um, and there was hunters there, but the bucks were still using the lower timbered ridges below that road. Now they weren't there every day, but I continued hunting him until the, the very end. And when I went back that three days, we had got a big snowstorm 
while I was gone guiding elk hunters. And, oh man, I just wish I could have been there because he was probably <laughs> leaving great big old tracks right there. And I could have, I could have tracked him down and all his buddies that I saw, they were, you know, that first week that I hunted when I got back there that last week, it took me a day or two to kind of cover the whole perimeter of the mountain where they had been, you know, again, kind of a square mile and there were no tracks in there, Dustin. And, and so they had migrated. And so had the season continued on, I mean, I basically hunted them to the last day because it took me that long to confirm that they left. If the season had continued on, I would have moved. They were gone. There were no track. I mean, they're, they don't ride hoverboards. You know, they, they have to leave tracks. There was nothing there. And so if, had the season continued on, yeah, I would have given up. He was gone. He, I mean, he was, he was just out of there. Um, but, you know, over the years, Dustin, um, I just have learned not to give up. And, 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 and part of it is I don't hunt where there's a bunch of crazy, stupid pressure either. You know, I, I don't hunt places where that are just slaughtered, you know? Uh, and so if I found a buck and I, and I, you know, I usually find multiple big bucks every summer, every year, but I only hunt one or one or two of them. You know, I did a, 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 an article last year on Rockslide that was about the problem with the hit list, and, and and that's the problem with the hit list is you'll move on to other bucks yeah. when maybe that buck is still killable. And so if I do give up, Dustin, it's because of you know if, if you can actually confirm that they're gone, and 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 in most of the country I hunt, you can't confirm that they're gone. There's enough cover there you know, they're, they're probably right there. So I, I stick it out now, logistically, Dustin, there's the, the two big bucks I found this year, you know, they're, they're seven hours apart. And one of them is just a couple hours from the house by the time you, you know, drive, hike, all that stuff. And one of them is six hours from the house. And so that's the one I just got back from hunting. And so I will pro I will hunt number two buck just because logistically now that I've, you know, taken a big bite out of my vacation and and my good graces with my wife who is awesome but you know she's she's too awesome she would let me go all fall but you know i i see the house falling apart <laughs> i see yeah you know what i mean you come home and the wife's at a simmer it's time to stay home a little bit you know let's give her a break so 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 i may end up i, I not even may i will hunt number two buck here just because you know i can do it in a day or two now i don't you know, the other buck I was hunting, you know, we're, we're talking, you know, four and a half hour horseback ride, you know, I mean, a long drive. I mean, big, you just can't logistically do it. Yeah. There you go. So you see what I mean? I may, I, I may hunt buck number two. I'm essentially giving up on buck number one because logistically I can't do it until I have like, you know, five or six days off to, to go. And then I'm going to lose two of them and in, in travel and just get a hunt in three. So, so, but my point is I, I keep going on and on in this. <laughs> I think you're best not to give up, you know, give it a rest. My dad taught me something when I was young and I used to get mad when he would say this, but he was so right. He'd be like, Oh, don't give up. Just give up for a day or two. Just take a rest and then go back. And no, oh, he's gone. There's no sense. And, uh, you know, don't tell me that, you know, it'd make me mad because I wanted to give up, but he, he, and he still says, Oh, I don't, Oh, don't give up. Just, just give up for a day or two. Right. And, and, you know, now that I'm older, he's right because, you know, you can get refreshed, you can get refocused, but once you give up, Dustin, it'll haunt you the rest of your life. Yeah, it absolutely will. And I've, I've, unfortunately I've been there. Um, so, some things, some, some points, uh, that are specific to you that I, I think are worth pointing out. 
Um, the first one is you gotta, just like anything in life, like you gotta know what you really want, you know? Mm -hmm. And so the key here to take away is, you know, you mentioned earlier, we're talking big bucks. Mm -hmm. And when you're talking big bucks, you gotta be that guy. You gotta be the guy that's willing. And I'm not saying that I am, but I know guys that are, you gotta be the guy that's willing to only hunt one buck and mm -hmm. never give up on him. Even mm -hmm. not even within a season, I'm talking within the buck's lifetime. Yep. Right. It's yep. like that, that's, you know, if I'm after a 200 plus or whatever, they're so few and so far between and so rare and so hard to find that you better be willing to never give up on it. Or you'll, you probably, you know, you're probably not going to be the guy that, that kills one, at least not more than once you know exactly right. so th that era ended about 1965 there's <laughs> yeah. just not enough big bucks now to to do that to just jump around and and um and you know and i've concluded this not just on my own experiences talking to some very good buck hunters over the years and the majority of them agreed that that you 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 got to focus on the on the buck you just said it really even over the course of his lifetime and by the time they're big you know, five, six, seven, eight years old, their lifetime is pretty short. They've only got a, you've only got a couple of years in most cases. You know, you read the occasional, hey, I hunted this buck five years. You know, there's a few of those out there, but not, you know, not, not in the Intermountain West where they winter and, you know, hard winter, stuff like that. You typically got a couple of years. And the biggest buck I've ever killed, 234 official uh, Boone and Crockett, was because I stayed on him over two years. And you put in 20, 25 days on this buck over a couple of years with very few sightings of him. But just knowing that, you know, that's kind of the advantage of living in Idaho where there's not a bunch of big bucks. It's like, if I leave, I'm stupid. I'm just going to, I'm not going to find another big buck. You know, there's, there's just, I mean, I just got done. I just scouted all summer and I found two shooter bucks all summer. So for me to just leave and go give up, what am I going to go do? Yeah. You know, go play Monopoly. I mean, I'll have just as good of a chance of killing a big buck if I leave because there's just not enough of them around to keep jumping around. And, you know, that can be different in other units. I, I realize that. And again, that's why I get back to just don't 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 go by formulas. You know, right. think about what what's your hunt like. And I know for right now just hunting Idaho this year, I'm stupid to jump around too much because, you know, I mean, I ain't going to get one if I do. And, I, and, and, and having said all that, I may not get one anyways. Most of these big bucks I find get away. It's just how it is. And, um, um, you know, there's probably maybe if I, if I was willing to move a little bit more, maybe I would have killed some more nice bucks, you know, rather than just waiting on, you know, horny head to hopefully show himself. Maybe I'd have a few more, 170 you know maybe even 180 bucks but man i wouldn't have any giants that's what i've learned and so you know i just want to make sure your listeners know that that you know if your 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 170 buck disappeared and you're just sick of looking at that mountain yeah dude pack up go somewhere else go right. have some fun man it could be it could be fun to see some new country and everything and and you know you may be that one in in, in five thousand guys that switches units and uh you know goes and finds a giant you know but on average that's not what's happening to me well, and then, and then the other thing real, real, uh, quick is, is just generally speaking, the, the kind of the notion of leave, of leave, you know, the cliche, don't leave bucks to find bucks. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, if, if you, especially if you've scouted a buck all summer or you've scouted bucks or you know that there's deer in the area, um, you know, we were faced with this, this year on the, on an archery hunt in Nevada and, and not necessarily because we couldn't find find bucks but because there was 
there was quite a few more hunters in the area than we were used to. Um, yeah. And, but at the end of the day, it, it came down to, well, where are we going to go? Well, we haven't scouted anywhere else. We've been hunting this same area for five years. We'll take our chances on figuring out where these bucks are moving to when they get pressured mm-hmm. over moving into a completely new area in the middle of the season, hiking yeah. in, you know, trying to figure that out. And it, it, it didn't work out per se. We didn't tag out, but we all got our, we all got opportunities uh-huh. at bucks. You know, we all stocked shootable bucks. And so I, I would say that it, it did work out. So anyway, just not, not yeah, leaving and, bucks to find bucks. And that's why I think that sometimes you can't draw conclusions, i.e. formulas on just, you know, one hunt or whatever, because yeah, maybe if you guys switched and you're in a good unit, maybe you would have got lucky and just switched over to some basin. Nobody hunted it yet. Full of big bucks. You'd have been like, I'm so happy we moved. Yeah. But most of the time that doesn't happen. You switch basins. You, you know, you pull up to the trailhead. Oh crap. There's 14 trucks here. Yeah. You know, <laughs> you're, guys here you're too. headed in there, dude. And you know, the girl scouts are coming out, you know, it's like, Oh my gosh, I just like packed out and, and lost a day of hunting to go somewhere that's, you know, getting just as much, if not more pressure. That's been my experience. And, and again, that can change if you have a great draw hunt, not very many hunters, but right. you know, it sounds like you were hunting like a lot of us just, have to hunt. There's other guys. And I'll tell you what else too, a little side note to that. I'll, I would say half the time, I'm just generalizing that, but I would say more often than not, when you make that decision and, and we're talking, I'm talking a backcountry packed in hunt. Yeah. Right. If, if you make the decision that, oh, I'm going to, you know, you're, you're not having a good experience after day three and you pack out cause you're going to go somewhere else. Half the time you end up going home. <laughs> Honestly, I, know, I'm not, I, I've yeah. been there. I, I, I've been I there. I've been there where me it's too, like, you dude. know what, this just, this isn't the spot. There's no bucks here. Um, or there's too many guys and you pack up and you say, yeah, let's go check this other spot out. And something happens that magical, like hike back to the truck. Um, you get back there and just something you know, that, that, uh, go home pixie dust sprinkles on you and you're just like, Oh man, like, oh, yeah, you it's, bet, man. and all of a sudden you're driving home, sipping on Mountain Dew and, and <laughs> it's just talking to mama yep. on the phone and well, you know, yeah, dude, you justify I've done it. the yeah. same thing, man. Yeah. I've done the same thing. And, you know, and, and I'm glad you said that too, that, you know, we're kind of talking about, you know, back country that, yeah, I've had tags. I had a tag in 2014 in Colorado, a muzzleloader early season tag, you know, since we're on the early season stuff. And, you know, I'd scouted the unit. I knew the unit. And, you know, I literally had like, gosh, man, seven or eight different places I could go. And I didn't have a buck scouted for that year. I was going off of Intel from the previous year because I had taken a, a, a 191 uh, typical the year before in the same unit. And he was with a couple other smackers, Dustin. And so I had kind of banked it on those bucks will be back. That's where I'm going to hunt. Well, about day four in there, it, it had changed. There was hardly any deer there. I wasn't finding them, no tracks. So because I knew the unit and I wasn't logistically wasting time packing out, all I'm doing is walking out to the truck a mile, you know, and and then the next morning I could be on the other side of the unit and it ended up paying off. I, I ended up killing a buck the very last morning that was right at 180 gross. And had I not covered a bunch of country, yeah, I, I would, 
have got a buck. I could have been that guy that's like, no, I'm going to stay right here. And I know those bucks were here. Well, yeah, they were here last year, but they're not here now. <laughs> and, and, and so, so you, that's the, again, that's why I keep going back to just don't get these formulas going in your mind that this is always how it's going to be that hunt. It was logistically easy to move. I wasn't wasting time. I had a, a camp central to the unit and something else you said a second ago is you guys had hunted that unit for five years. <laughs> that is like, huge advantage right there that that very few hunters these days because i think we're all just major short attention span they can't do that they they they're very few hunters that are that are gonna stick with an area five years and and because you'd done that you'd probably had other bad years and you just knew hey we're better off to stick it out here than go try to find some spot we don't even know or or whatever right okay so Talk, talk to me about, um, talk to me about tactics. Um, I, I'm going to break this up into two, two kind of mid season ranges. One is middle of September to October, because I think that's a different, to me, that's like a little micro season where they're still kind of where they're, you know, we talked earlier, there's still a big buck still going to be where he was, but he shed his velvet. What are your tactics? Um, generally speaking during that, during that period, is it more glassing or do you transition to more, um, you know, still hunting or are you still putting the optics on the, uh, on the mountain? <laughs> well, um, I don't disagree with what you just said on this kind of the September 15th to roughly mid October. But for me, I don't really change my tactic from, you know, late August until the first of October. Um, because again, most of the time I'm hunting fairly secure bucks. So even if they've rubbed, you know, I know they're probably right here somewhere. And so glassing is my number one technique, yeah. um, in that. And, um, if, and, and then a little bit of it's going to depend on the weapon, uh, still hunting with a bow for a big deer is, you know, that's powerball odds to me. It's, <laughs> it's just even that buck two years ago, I told you that was in Idaho. That was, that was just a giant buck. Um, um, you know, I knew that where he was living and me still hunting that, you know, all I'm doing is my due diligence. I'm, I'm not going to get him, you know, archery equipment. It truly, your advantage is the spot and stock and the fishing games give you that season where you can actually bed bucks, you know, way better than you can in the rifle season when they're out for five minutes and then they head into a, a sea of cover. And so, so, um, the, the, I, I don't typically still hunt with a bow, Dustin. And I'm, by still hunting, I'm going with the definition I had in my book. You know, I, I don't know where the buck is exactly. I didn't see him bad. I didn't see anything. I'm not stalking a particular location, but I'm moving through cover that um, has got um, previous sightings, tracks, you know, other things that, that, for, that give me a help me narrow down an entire mountain to, okay, he might be in this 30 acres right here. Would that? So I don't do, would that change if you're in like say Utah where they, especially on the, like a muzzleloader season that I'm going to go on the end of this month and where they've changed their optic regulations and guys are shooting muzzleloaders two, three, 400 yards. Would, would that change your, your yes. tactic? Yeah. Yeah. So that's why I said it depends on the weapon. So for archery, still hunting is my very last technique i'm going to use for archery again i'll use it if there's a giant i'm not seeing him it's the only game in town yeah. um but but no once i move into even an open-sided muzzleloader where i can shoot you know 80 to 150 yards with a reasonable degree of accuracy with a good sighting system and a very accurate muzzleloader 
um, then yes, still hunting is back on the table because as uh, back to your dates, you know, once you get into kind of mid September and everything, they're just becoming less visible. And so the problem with glassing, especially if it's just, if, unless it's a really wide open unit with low tag numbers is, um, that you got about an hour and a half in the morning and you got a half an hour in the evening. What else are you going to do all day? Right. And so for me, sometimes still hunting is just passing the time. And, and you know, still gets back to this formula thing. I realize there's some units, low tag numbers combined with, or, or maybe extreme back country, maybe, maybe, you know, something that's limiting the pressure and, it's open enough. Yep. If you sit on the knob 12 hours, you, 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 you probably can see a buck come out. I realize that's out there and I hunt a few places like that. So, you know, I may stick right with glassing in a unit like that, but if I'm like, well, there's a guy over there on that Ridge. Oh, somebody just shot down in the basin and <laughs> oh my gosh, there's a freaking tent right over there. Yeah. Okay. Horny head is not going to be out on these open he you know if he's five six seven years old he's i'm again back what we started the podcast with not not that i'm not gonna assume that he left but you know he's gonna be in the secure country so i'm gonna start sectioning that up of oh man that this basin over here it's one ridge over from these guys man thick it's got a lot of spruce in it just a little bit of openings but i see deer feed there's tracks up here on the ridges this is where I'm going to go still hunt. And me personally, I'm only good for about three, four hours of still hunting. And then I'm, you know, I'm spacing off. And, and so, you know, I'll, 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 I'll glass right at the prime time. Sometimes dude, by the time the sun is up, I'm done glass and I've moved into the cover. Cause if the bucks aren't out there, they're probably not coming out. And, um, there can be exceptions to that, but for the most part, so then I will, I'll take a muzzle loader or a rifle and I will pussyfoot around in some of those places. And, 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 and I've killed some big deer doing that before when, you know, 20 years ago, I'm still sitting up on the knob, you know, grinding it out. Oh, man, if I just glass a little bit longer, you know, he's <laughs> going to show up. And unless it's just low tag numbers, extreme backcountry or not very, you know, just not much pressure at all, you know, they're, they're probably not going to come back. And not the big ones. The little ones will. And enough of them will come. Even the nice ones will, you know, the three-year-olds that look like a 165, 170 buck, you'd be like, oh, well, he's out here. You know, he was with, with that big buck all summer. Well, it's been my experience over many, many years that for the most part, he's not going to come back out. The big one's not going to. And those little ones will fool you into thinking that they're there, that they will. I sat on many a Wyoming peak in the nineties waiting for that to happen. It just did not happen. You know, I had to get in and get into the thick and nasty where they were and kill them. All right. So weapon specific, Dustin, to answer your question, weapon specific, you bet. Unit, I, will, yeah, I will use that unit and terrain specific for sure. Exactly. Yep. You betcha. That's why you got to kind of think on your feet because still hunting and, you know, a subsidiary of that I, ambush hunting that yeah. could be very effective in the early season because you know, the bucks are probably still right there. They haven't migrated off the mountain. They're right there. They're just not going to come out in those big open parks. And so, you know, having a weapon that'll shoot a hundred yards to 500 yards, you bet that gives you a big advantage. Yep. You know, then, then like, like you're saying, uh, no, no, uh, set formula, you know, then I, I think down to these bucks, uh, that, that my buddies are killing down here, 
in like these southernmost units in Nevada, for example, uh-huh. or possibly the Strip. I, I've never hunted the Strip, I imagine. But where it's just, um, you know, they might catch a buck on a trail camera and mm-hmm. hit in water at night. And then, and then they back up, they kind of reverse engineer from there where they think he might be heading. And so they scout him all summer. And even in September, they've, they've, they've got him a mile and a half from the water heading up the draw that they know that he goes up to bed, you know, um, at, at very first light. And, and if they don't catch him in that, in that first 15 to 30 minutes or whatever it is, you know, in that one little window of, of, uh, you know, open, tiny little open, uh, meadow that he feeds in for a second while he's on his way back to his bed or whatever the case is. Um, if they don't get him in that 30 minute window, you just, you, 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 there's no point in still hunting, you know, into the, into the thick juniper trees where he's bedded because you can literally see 10 yards at a time, you know? And so it's just yeah, so, yeah, so true yeah. that every, every unit and every scenario is different. Um, yeah. Yeah, there you go, dude. I'm glad you bring that up because it is, you said a second ago, terrain specific. That would be a terrain specific deal of, gosh, my, even though I know that buck's in this draw, my chance of, you know, getting him if I can only see 10 yards is pretty small and my chance of spooking him is really high because once they wind you, they're, you know, they're, they are going to leave. They don't fart around and then you got to refind them. But let's put one more caveat to that. Unless it's the last day, man, you got nothing to lose. <laughs> Walk in there and kill that buck. That 180 buck I killed in Colorado three years ago, four years ago with my muzzleloader. That's exactly what happened. I thought, I got nothing to lose, man. I'm going in those trees. Hell Mary. And sure enough, that sucker <laughs> stood up and, 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 and I got him, you know. And, and, and the whole week I'd been kind of staying out of there, glassing in there. You know, see him occasionally, <laughs> but never could get him. So, so that's the cool thing about deer hunting. That is, to me, that is the big draw is – you're thinking on your feet. Every situation's a little bit different. You know, you got to pull in your, your, your best techniques and I mean, and, and anything could happen. And, and, you know, with those guys you're talking about right there, sometimes, you know, I think we read stories in magazines and, and I have no problem with group hunting. I really don't. I let a lot of guys get real soured on that. I'm not talking about party hunting where you shoot each other's game, but I'm talking about you know, if there's a group of six or seven guys out there, you know, the outfitters have to do this a lot. I, I get it. You know, it's not the way I prefer to do it, but I get it. You know, those guys have a huge advantage because they may say back to that buck. You just said he bedded in here and you can only see 10 yards. Yeah. You can't still hunt it, but we got two guys that know he went in there and they take that hunter over there and, you know, they bake him in the sun all day. They make him sit there. Yep. Sometimes that's what it takes to kill those bucks. Cause even then those bucks will get up and wander around, you know, midday and, right. you know, maybe come out in a little opening where the sun is, you know, allowed some, some forbs to grow. And, 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 and again, that's, so that's why I don't really have a problem with it because that's what it takes to freaking kill them. Yeah. You know, you, if you don't do that, you're not going to get them. And, 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 and then backing up to a DIY solo hunter. Yeah. You just, you know, you don't have nine buddies out on these ridges watching where these bucks go. So, you know, it's, it's, it's therefore going to be that much more rewarding when you do make it happen. Right. Um, talk about, let's talk about October, um, kind of the true, true mid season. Um, where, where do bucks, I'm just going to put this bluntly, where do bucks go in the middle of October? Because nobody can find them. It seems like in the trees, <laughs> they're hiding. <laughs> Yeah, dude, I, 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 you know, I grew up here in, I'm in Southeast Idaho. We have a variety of terrain around here. We don't have much 
when I say high country, I'm talking alpine. It sticks up high enough in the atmosphere that the trees can't really grow. They grow in little patches and stuff. We don't have a lot of that around here. Guys are kind of surprised when they get southeast side. They're like, yeah, because everything tops out about eight, 9,000 feet. Yeah. True high country is over the border into Wyoming. And, you know, H and G and, you know, there's, 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 you know, some of those peaks get up over nine and they truly do start to get into the alpine country where there's still timber. You know, it's not as alpine as, as some of the central Colorado continental divide stuff. Um, but, um, and so I got my education back in the nineties, um, hunting some of, of that Wyoming country that is true alpine. And, you know, I used to sit down here in the valley and just think, oh, those bucks are just wandering around up on those peaks until the snow comes. Well, they probably would if nobody hunted them, but because of the onslaught of pressure that's up there, they, they move into the timber. And, um, and, 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 you know, I've had many debates with guys that hunt over there and, and I'm not saying I'm right and they were wrong, but, you know, I always bring up the Popeye buck. Those guys were pretty do you remember Popeye? Oh, yeah. Dustin, I, yep. I, I, okay, yeah, dude, you were probably in, like, third grade. Yep. I was young. I was young, but I, <laughs> I sure I sure remember Popeye, yep. Yeah, dude, and, and I'm not arguing with those guys, but they all were convinced he just left. He left the mountain. He was gone. He moved to a secondary area. I, I wouldn't argue against that. Maybe he did. They've even they've even proved that. I think Goliath was, was spotted on, you know, in the high country and killed in the low country, and they're able to prove it was the same buck, and it's happened to a couple others. Not saying that that, that doesn't happen, but for the most part, you know, not talking about, you know, a few super bucks that were probably eight or nine years old that have almost become a different animal by that time. They change at four years old, and then they change again when they get really old, like eight or nine. And um, I still think that, and this is what I learned, this is where I'm going with all this, this is what I learned in the 90s, is that those bucks get pushed out of those open basins, but they're not too far away. They've usually gone to the first available secure cover. And again, that sounds like a formula. Oh, just go hunt the first available secure cover. Mm. Have you seen the secure available cover <laughs> there? It is like 49 degree slopes. I mean, you fall on your face every nine seconds. You can't be quiet. You know, they, 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 they've many of the, the food sources that grow out on the open slopes also grow in that in that kind of scattered timber, they never have to leave it. And so, but I got my education that these bucks, most of them, not all of them are still right here. They're just in the trees. And, 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 and I, and I got to hook up with uh, the Suter boys. They're out of, um, I think Smoot, Wyoming. And they were, they were the only guys I knew that organized large deer drives at 10,000 feet. I mean, they were, they, they, they were, nobody was doing this back then. And I happened to camp by them on the Hoback. I put this in my book and, you know, I had scouted all summer, found some, you know, 170, 180 bucks. You know, I was all excited, you know, got up there, the orange army's there and those bucks are gone out of those basins and nobody's even fired a shot yet. And they're gone. And you know, the one forties are out there, the one fifties, well, I camped by these guys and, you know, after a couple of days, you know, I noticed, where are these guys? I don't, not even seeing them. And so I started talking to them They're like, oh yeah, we, we're, we're down on these benches, you know, pushing, pushing these more manageable size pieces of the timber here. And, and yeah, they hadn't killed anything yet, but, you know, they were seeing bucks and dude, they were totally cool guys. They're like, you want to go? I'm like, oh man, I'd love to go. I'm not seeing anything out in these open basins. And so I think I got to hunt with them two days and, you know, they probably just 
were hoping to have another driver, but you know, they, they, they took me in, they showed me what they were, dude, I saw more nice bucks in those two days than I had seen in the previous four or five. And, 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 and it showed me that these bucks have not really left these older bucks. They're right here. They're just not coming out of the trees and you know, you got to get in there to kill them. And we never killed a buck in that two or three days I hunted with them, but I saw some of my nicest bucks then. And, um, and it just kind of changed my thinking because, you know, if you go up there, it opens, what's today, the 13th, it opens in two days. There's the people are, man, I would not want to be at a Wyoming trailhead in the Wyoming range right now. It is, it's probably looks like the Walmart parking lot. And, um, these guys are packing in, they're making all kinds of noise. Um, and they're just telling those bucks, Hey, we're here, you know, here's your warning. And, 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 and they're going to pile off of those basins. Some of the really old bucks, maybe they'll migrate to, to, to winter range. But I think, you know, most of the nice bucks guys will want to shoot. They're still going to be right there, Dustin. They're just in the cover. That's really what the long, super long answer to your question of where are the bucks in October? And even though it's September, I think they're doing the same thing because I've seen it in other country that doesn't have like some of those units have October dates. Yeah. And so a lot of the units around here have October. I've seen the same thing. You know, I find the bucks a couple days before the season, the hunters show up, the bucks are gone. But then a week later I kill one, you know, so, right, right below where they I'd, I'd seen them. Right. So you, you hear guys talk about or or mention the word like a transition area, you know, like mm-hmm. a or, or a, mi- a migration transition area. What's what's kind of the difference um, to you between that and what and just kind of them being there, moving down into the cover, and and kind of when does that, you know, when when did do you expect to find them more in that migration transition, so to speak? I think it's going to be different in every, every state because I think it's just highly elevation dependent. You know, there's so many variables going on that, that, but, you know, around Idaho, you know, basically from, you know, Boise, some of our best buck countries over on the Western part of our state, you know, just as far as traditional, um, you know, Boone and Crockett entry, stuff like that. And over to here where, you know, we've, we've had a lot too most of our stuff is topping out about 9,000 feet. You know, I mean, there's some stuff in central Idaho that's you know, 10, 11 or everything, but, but most of it's, you know, not 12 or 13, like Colorado. And so to me, what moves those deer is the early snows and it has to be significant if it's before just roughly about the 25th of October, you know, when the rut really starts to influence these bucks if it's, if you get big snows in the, you know, below 10,000 feet, it can move the bucks off of the peaks. It, it really, and, and, you know, I'm talking 12 to 18 inches of snow and, and, and again, no formulas. Some places guy will be like, Hey man, I killed this buck in three feet of snow in September. I get that. Mm-hmm. I've seen it before too, but, but on average, it's going to be the big snows that moves them off of those peaks. But some years we don't get any big snow, even into November and December. And so then it's the rut that pulls them out of there. And, 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 and it's different everywhere. I've had talked to guys in Colorado. I've seen it on the outdoor channel with guy Eastman. They were hunting bucks. My goodness. Some godly elevation, 11,000 feet or something in, in November. But that particular unit held, um, does high. They didn't have to get their fawns down to the winter range, you know, because of miles of, 
of of, of more migration corridors or, or whatever. And 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 so those there was no snow. I think guy killed a really nice buck. If it was in the one eighties, if I remember, you know, good mature six, five, six, seven, eight year old buck. And and it's just it was weird, but it was like, hey, that's a weird year. They got no snow. It didn't push them out of there. It was still doze high. That buck didn't need to go. And so, you know, I'm, I'm evading your answer again here. And it, it's going to depend on your unit. And that's what I keep getting back to. There's not a lot of hardcore formulas you can go by. You can go over here onto the Grays River and they've got proofed telemetry studies that those bucks will start moving as early as the 12th of October with no snow. It's, right. it's, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's a seasonal migration and the snow can speed it up, certainly. But, you know, the bucks will start pulling out of there in mid-October to the third week of October, you know, on even on a dry year. And so that's why it's so important to know your unit and know your areas and know your seasons and understand there's a difference between archery season and rifle season and all this other stuff. But, but, but to your question, Dustin, I've seen some of these bucks as late as the 15th to the 20th of October in the same places they were in August. Even in some higher units, the same places, because the snow hadn't moved them, the rut hadn't moved them. Now, having said that, I have a really hard time finding bucks that I've scouted on average after the 15th of October. It's just like God sticks his finger down there and just stirs up the mule deer herd and everything starts moving, whether it's pressure, whether it's snow. Whether it's the rut, I don't know, but I know I'd better get them killed before about the 15th. Because after that, it's like a big reset button, and you just don't know what's going to happen. Doesn't mean I won't go back. I gave you that example two years ago. I hunted that buck till the very end just because that was my best chance. But it really gets hard after that, Dustin. And, and like many things, I think it's a combination of factors. But the rut is looming. Big storms are coming. And and another thing too, bucks can hang out on the peaks and they don't leave until the rut, but the does have that internal clock and they have that little fawn there that they're like, you know, I got to have time to get to the winter range. Some mountain ranges, there's mountain ranges in central Idaho, dude, they migrate down the mountain. They go down 3000 feet and they're on the winter range. They can do it in in, in 20 minutes. Right. And there's other places where these mic in Wyoming, they're documenting now, these migrations are 150 miles. And so those does are going to pull out, you know, way, way early. And, and, you know, so you can kind of see I'm all over the map here. And it's because that's what I've learned is deer are all over the map. They're, they're different everywhere. And that's why, you know, the whole theme of this podcast, that's one advantage to the early season is that they're, they're, they're probably not too far away. Yeah. You know, and there's there's a couple points there. the The obvious one is the the geographical um, differences. You know, if you're like you're saying down here in Nevada, and you're talking some of these um, you know desert floors that have a massive peak, and there's bucks at the top, like you're saying. I mean, it takes them 20 minutes. They're down in the in their winter ground. You know, whereas mm-hmm. you know the geographical differences in a place like Wyoming or Idaho or Montana or whatever is just may, may be different. The the other thing um, that you kind of I, I think hinted towards is um, those bucks are the last ones to leave. Typical, T- typical, especially those bigger bucks. They're just naturally, you know, they're just going to be the last ones 
to leave. And, and those, like you're saying, the does and the fawns will go first. The young bucks will come second. Um, you know, and then those, those bigger bucks are going to be the last ones, uh, to leave the, the high country. And so, yeah, I think that's a trend. Um, but I think you gotta be really, really careful with it. And we've had some examples just in the last couple of years. Um, Scotty Thompson, um, him, him and his dad on Critter Lick there in Northern Utah. Do you know who he is? Uh, no of them. Yeah. Good guy. You should have him on your podcast. Heck of a buck hunter, especially for a young guy. And, um, uh, uh, the story was in Eastman's, um, and last year he's got proof. I mean, this dude took me to dinner and he showed me this and it was laid out in that Eastman's article. Um, and I had mentioned, um, some of those Wyoming bucks that, you know, they proven that, Hey, they left their summer range and migrated to either, you know, mid low elevation transitional range or clear to the winter range. He killed a giant buck last year in Utah that, um, has been living on the golf course for the winters, um, the last, you know, two, three years. When I say giant, we're talking this, I don't remember, 230 to 250. I mean, we're talking a giant buck. And he, um, he didn't kill it on the golf course. He wasn't even hunting down there. He found this buck just purely by coincidence, just out scouting. I can't remember eight, 10 miles away on a mountain range, you know, typical high country, Northern Utah stuff. And he spotted this buck in like July or August. And, you know, this is a townie buck that, you know, everybody knows. And he's like, that's him. Oh my gosh. He's living up here. <laughs> and so he, you know, threw everything he had at it. He's a good buck hunter. He knew what he was doing, figured out kind of where does the buck bed, and he went and, um, to, and sat in that bed or very close to it on opening morning of archery, August 18th or whatever Utah opens. And that buck came in and he killed it. And, um, so going back through, because he was a townie buck, there was a lot of, you know, recorded history on him, you know, people taking pictures of him, you know, they knew the dates that he would show up, dude, this buck would show up on the golf course about a week before the Utah rifle open, which is late <laughs> October. And he did it for a couple of years in a row. And so by Scott, Scotty killing that buck up on the summer range, you know, he proved that, Hey, this buck is here early season, you know, the whole theme of this podcast, but come October, he's not even available. Gone. He leaves and he goes to the private. And so I think that's why we got to be a little bit careful when we say, Hey, the big bucks come out last. And you know, I think that's a good trend. I really do. Right. But I, again, there's no formula. There's hardly any formulas when you get into big deer, they, they are individuals and they are, they are smart and they are fascinating and, they can, they can do whatever they want. That's why I don't argue with the guys about Popeye. They could very well be right. Yeah. Buck left that mountain and, and went clear to the winter range. And, and, you know, he did it and he did it, you know, or he didn't go clear to the winter range. Cause they knew when he'd show up, he'd show up about November 5th, but he was somewhere between that peak and, you know, a hundred miles away on the winter range. And that's what makes him so dang hard to find. Yeah. Awesome. Some, some up for me, uh, just, just kind of circling back through all this, just sum up maybe a couple, uh, keys to success for, you know, kind of that, uh, that mid season, uh, mule deer hunt, whether it's, you know, like the Utah muzzleloader hunt towards the end of this month, or, um, you know, kind of those, those typical October 1st to the 31st, uh, rifle hunts throughout, throughout the West. Um, 
so basically the early season, if you want to be successful in the early season, you're, um, you're the reason that they can be good is because you have the chance to either find a buck preseason, which is what I totally recommend. I mean, that's, I switched to that 25 years ago and that's, I don't go anywhere where I haven't seen a big buck and, um, um, especially ideally that year. And, and, you know, that's held true probably the majority of those 30 years, you know, I was just 27 or 28 of those years. I was hunting an individual buck by the time it opened for archery or early October. And so if you're not doing that, then you can still take a little bit advantage of the early season and the, you know, cause some guys just, you know, they're, they're smarter than me. They don't want to, you know, burn their whole life hunting mule deer. They go do other <laughs> fun things, you know, and they, but they want to go out and hunt. Well, great. The, 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 the Intel that you're getting daily is, is, is you can count on, Hey, you saw some bucks, you know, they're, you're, they're probably going to be right here. You don't need to be running all over the place, you know, compared to the guy in October, you know, opening morning, boom, everybody shoots. And now you got to go find new country. You know, they're probably going to still be in that batch mode. Um, the, you know, the, definitely the Utah, cause you guys don't have a lot of 12,000 foot stuff. Um, the bucks are, you know, they, it opens the end 25th of September, something like that. You know, those bucks are going to be real close there. You, you know, if you're seeing bucks, don't move, just stay there. The only reason you need to move is if you're not seeing a buck that you want, then go ahead and cover some country. But the smart buck hunter, the buck hunters I know that kill the big ones, they, they already have a buck. They, they've either named him, but they at least know where he's at. They're going to be living there. And, and that, that's the, that's the true advantage to the early season. Once you get into, you know, let me back up just a little bit. Some of Colorado, that, that high country empties out, you know, mid to late September, even without hunting pressure and talking to the guys in the know, it's just, you know, their, their food sources are dying. You know, the frost comes early at 12,000 feet. Um, you know, there are exceptions. I know guys have killed big bucks on second season, really high elevation, but for the most part, you know, those bucks have left that country and now they're going to get down into the transition and that's going to be harder. And you just got to know your deer herd then. Um, um, but most of, I think all of Colorado's early season stuff wraps up about the third week of September, you know, 25th, something like that, you know, archery and muzzleloader, everything, everything closes. And so, um, 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 but, you know, relying heavily on glassing, you know, looking at the most open portions of the ranges, you know, that's going to be your advantage in the early season where you get into October. You know, for me, when I get into October, um, the best days are opening day. And then when it snows, I just wait for it to snow and then I go tracking and, and, um, uh, you know, that can really help you, help you narrow it down. And, um, you know, if you have a mule deer unit that the season doesn't open until October 20th and you're the first guns in there and those deer have not been hunted and, um, there's not a migration going on. It's almost like hunting early season deer, at least for a couple of days until they feel the pressure. And so that's why I keep going back to this thing of just, just think on your feet you know, what's the variables that are affecting your unit. Um, but by and large, if you're hunting before October 1st, I think you can count on early season glassing, hunting the open, more open portions of the ranges, you know, stuff like that. Hope that makes sense, dude. As you've seen, I can go on and on. It all makes sense, man. I want to give you credit for, uh, for just being the, the mule deer fanatic and, uh, taking the time to sit down and, uh, and share your, share your wisdom and knowledge with us. What, uh, what, what do you have, um, coming up, we didn't even get into that. What, what do you have the rest of the, the season here? 
Well, Idaho um, uh, is all I have for tags this year. Um, so I'm just, just focusing here. Didn't pull anything great in any other states. Um, and so um, I started scouting um, late June, some low country. And then as we got in later in July, I started um, scouting some of the higher elevation stuff so I can count on the bucks being there. I found about a 190 gross uh, buck. He's uh, he's a five by six, so he's mostly typical. And um, his frame's in the high 180s. He's got about a four orange cheater on one side good looking buck and i found him the end of july i didn't find anything i found another big one in some lower country that's not very conducive to bow hunting it's just really thick and you know kind of some of the stuff you're talking about it's got some open portions but i decided i'm probably better off trying to kill this other buck and so i just come off him for 10 days i just got home last uh friday and um um i got one stock on him the second day i didn't spook him but he got up out of his bed when i was about 70 yards away he shot me a glance but it was almost like he was looking through me you know kind of up onto the hill behind me and then he walked down into some timber and I, 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 I th- th- he went into heavy enough stuff, you know, back to that whole still hunting thing. I knew I couldn't still hunt in there. Plus he was a smother buck. So I backed out, got up on a, on a big ridge that night and he was right back out there within a hundred yards of where he was that morning. And I thought, oh, man, freaking awesome. You know, he's going to be right here. I'll get another stock on him. Uh, I was there eight more days. Never saw him again. Don't know what happened, but he had a number two buck that was with him. That was only a, he's probably the biggest 23 inch buck I've ever seen. <laughs> you know, he's, he's got places on his antlers that are probably six inches around up towards the top. So he was the number two buck. He was right there. I continued to hunt him for the next eight days. I got two stocks on him. Um, nothing under 70 yards. And you know, that's about the edge of my limit right there. I really like him a 60 or less, but even at those, those two times I got on him, I, I just didn't have any shot, you know, too much, too much uh, cover and, you know, just not the right angle. So I pulled out of there. Those, um, I will try to hunt those bucks again, definitely for rifle. I don't know if I'll be able to make it back up there for archery just because of like what I told you, it's, it's a big old haul in there. So I'll probably switch to this low country buck here for a little bit. I'm just trying, I've been home for almost a week, dude, and I'm still just so freaking tired. I took two naps yesterday. I mean, this takes it out of you when you're you know, hunting with horses and hunting by yourself and everything, but I'll, I'll probably get back after him here pretty quick. And, um, and then as we get into, you know, if I don't kill him during archery, I'm not a very good archery hunter. I hardly ever get one, but, um, if we get into, when we get into October, both these, both these places allow rifle hunting. And so I will just switch over to that Dustin and, um, try to kill one of those three bucks I just talked about. And whether I hunt the low area or the high area is just going to be dependent a little bit on what I see over the next couple of weeks. If this, this buck continues to hang around in the low area, he's actually bigger than the high country buck. He's, he's probably a good solid 30 inches. I don't see many 30 inch bucks. He's probably all of that. But again, that's a very difficult area to hunt. It's not very far from a road. So it gets a, you know, decent amount of traffic. And I've seen the bucks just get pushed out of there before. But if he's still hanging out in there late September and I haven't killed him with a bow, I might hunt him for rifle because if I've seen him in there late September, they're still usually there when rifle opens, you know, the next week. And so right back to what we talked about on the podcast, I'm just kind of thinking on my feet and, you know, I'll just kind of see what the season brings. And then, you know, you got to bring in work and life and family and everything what's going on with that. And, you know, it's, it's, it's a romantic idea to hunt a buck that's four and a half hours into the back country. And I want to, but you know, you don't just get off work on a Wednesday and say, Hey, I'm going to go hunt that buck. You know, it takes a lot of, a <laughs> lot of planning and you lose two days in travel. I mean, it's, 
it's uh but it's partly why sometimes i hunt the backcountry because it grows some pretty good deer in some places awesome we'll all be rooting for you and then uh finding backcountry podcast now has the exclusive on that story if you go when you go kill him so that sounds good buddy <laughs> just get a hold of me man i'm uh you'd lo- love to tell it with you guys and maybe we can get together at the expo again that was fun i like doing that and yep. like that format of doing a podcast out there and um uh mark uh smith and i my buddy and your buddy Mark just killed a big buck last week. Dude, Did you he's see it? Muley Slayer, man. You never count that guy out. You just knew. Never. Yep. Never count Mark the Muley Slayer out. You know, and he's, he, yeah, he killed a nice Navajo buck. And I looked at the pictures where he's hunting, dude. And that does not look like an easy place to archery hunt yeah. to me. You know, it looked like kind of like a place I was saying that you'd have to still hunt, you know, but Mark gets it done. But, uh, anyways, um, we're, we're both speaking at the, um, uh, Mark got us a gig doing the, uh, the seminars this year. Yeah. And so we'll, we'll be, um, uh, I, I think it's Friday and Saturday at the Western hunting expo. So, you know, we'd love to see you there. Maybe we could do a podcast or something and, we um, will be, uh, just we will be there. Awesome, dude. And I, I really appreciate having me on. I listened to almost all your podcasts. <laughs> I really appreciate you guys. And I, I think you do a great job and uh, a lot of fun and you ask some good questions, man. Plus you had Jim Shockey. Plus, I mean, there, no, <laughs> nobody gets Jim Shockey, dude, and that was that was great. You did a good job on that one. Thank you. That was, uh, yeah, that was that was pretty special. So, but they're all they're all special, man. That's why I love doing this. They're all special. So, I appreciate you wow. coming on too. You bet, dude. You bet. You know that Jim Shockey thing? That kind of showed me. You know, he's he he's a class act, dude. I mean, for a guy at his level and as busy as he is to you know come on a podcast and just you know, talk to everybody. I, I thought that's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. It definitely humbled me. I've, uh, I've still been working on getting Eva on and that's, you know, she's, you know, she's, she's busy with her house build right now and she's got her little girl. So I'm sure she's just uh, waiting to make time for me. <laughs> just dude, I, I have a funny story about Eva. If you got a second. Sure. Okay, dude. So when my book came out in 2015, the guys at mountain ops, um, said, Hey man, go ahead and come on over to our booth at the Western hunting expo. And they said, Hey man, you can do a book signing, you know, and just, we'll just give you a table, no charge. I mean, just nice guys. And, um, uh, and they're like, uh, and they said, they gave me a time, like, I don't know, you can, you can be there from 11 to one and then, then somebody else needs the booth. And so, um, if they told me it was Eva, I didn't, I didn't remember it. I, I didn't know. Well, anyway, so I'm sitting at my table, you know, I'm just, just a couple people come by, you know, not very many people know who I am and, you know, I'm signing books and <clears throat> Casey from mountain ops puts up a little, little sign out there about 20 feet and the sign was facing away from me. I couldn't see it. You know, I just thought it was something like, you know, a little ad or something. And dude, I look up and all of a sudden all these people are freaking <laughs> lining up, dude. <laughs> And I'm like, oh, dude, he must have put a sign out that I'm doing a book signing. I mean, I do that every time I look up. There's like 20 more people. I'm like, oh, this is freaking awesome. Finally, you know, but, but nobody's walking up to my table. So you know, I'm I'm like the guy that's in the front. You know, he's like, hey, come on up, man. So you know, he kind of walks over like all nervous, like, uh, yeah, hi. And I'm like. Hey, dude, are you know you here for the book signing? Uh, no, no, dude, I'm I'm here for Eva Shockey. Dream crusher. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh, 
Oh, dude, so embarrassing, dude. I thought all those people were lining up for me, dude. So I'm, I'm over there, like, you know, putting my books away in the box. I'm like, she's, I got to get out of here. Well, Casey's back there taking pictures as Eva comes out, you know, and, and, uh, you know, he gets all these pictures of him and of her and, you know, the crowd. Well, later on, dude, he, he finds me and, you know, and I told him, God, dude, I was so embarrassed. I didn't realize that was Eva that was coming. He's like, oh, yeah, dude, he goes, I got the best picture of this. And he, he pulls it up on his phone, dude. And so here's Eva. And, like, he's taking a picture of her and she's with a fan, dude. Here I am in the background, dude. I look like some – he called me a creeper. He goes, who's the creeper with the book, dude? And, here I am in the background, dude, with this look on my face of like a deer in the headlights, you know? And I think that was about the time I realized, holy crap, all these people are here for Eva. And oh I'm God. back there putting away my books and everything, dude. It, it was tell so embarrassing, Tell between dude. your legs trying to get out of there. Exactly, dude. We got the best laugh out of that. And, uh, Casey said, hey, dude, I, I'm sorry you didn't get the crowd, dude, that Eva gets. But, you know, I mean. Have you looked in the mirror lately? <laughs> yeah, you're, you're, you're right, dude. So. Anyway, so there's my Eva Shockey story. Awesome. Awesome story to end on. <laughs> well, thanks again, Robbie. Appreciate it. And, uh, yeah, good luck this year. And, we'll, you know, we'll be in touch, so we'll be following along. Okay, man. God bless you guys. Yeah, thank you. You too. Bye-bye. Hey, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Finding Backcountry podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, Make sure you subscribe and mention it to your friends. But the best thing you can do, leave a rating on iTunes or your favorite podcast platform. For notes and links to this and other episodes, please visit FindingBackCountry.com.